0: Hi, everyone. Malika here. I'm going to start by telling you that this podcast is going out from Washington, D.C. at 530 a.m. Wednesday, November 4th, a day after the U.S. election. With so much influx in the lead up, we're bringing you a special collaboration with our colleagues at Al Jazeera.com this evening, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, with all the latest on the results. I'll be passing the mic to veteran journalist Ray Suarez to guide you through what happened and what didn't happen. You can find it on The Take wherever you get your podcasts. Until then, here's today's episode, also with some election results. It's the day after the presidential election. The final tally isn't in, and people are already contesting the result. No, we're not talking about November 4th in the U.S., This is Last Week in Tanzania.
1: My name is Doto Nyadi. I am um, an independent journalist. And yesterday I went to vote.
0: Are people in Tanzania talking or paying attention at all to the U.S. election?
1: Well, to be honest, we had a very tight election of our own. So there has been very little mentioning of elections in the U.S.,
0: Yes, there was a big election in the United States. But what about the elections everywhere else? We're about to take a quick trip around the world to find out how democracy is doing right now. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take.
2: With voting complete, Tanzanians are tense. As they await the results, it could take days to come through.
0: On October 28th, the final tally still wasn't in. And the day before, Doto Mnyandi had voted himself.
1: I was lucky to be among the voters in this election.
0: He's a journalist in Dar es Salaam. The day before the election, police at a protest rally in Zanzibar shot and killed nine people.
1: They have been using live ammunition to shoot people.
0: Zanzibar is part of Tanzania but also semi-autonomous. And it's seen election violence in the past. But Tanzania overall has been described as one of Africa's most stable democracies. Wedged between Kenya and Mozambique in East Africa, it's known for safaris and beaches, not political unrest. But in the last five years, after Dr. John Magufuli was elected president, that feeling has changed.
1: When he was elected, he said. We don't think we need to have political activities every day.
0: He stopped many political gatherings, imprisoned political rivals, popular singers, and journalists. He created an anti-gay surveillance squad.
2: He's been accused by human rights organizations
0: and the opposition of
2: being a dictator and presiding over a government that is intolerant of dissent.
0: And when the pandemic started, there were a lot of questions about how he was managing that
2: As I speak here now, one of my own children has just recovered from the coronavirus disease. This is after they locked themselves inside the room and used steam inhalation, took lemons and ginger.
3: Activists have shared videos like this one on social media showing burials at night. They say the government's hiding coronavirus deaths. The Ministry of Health has since said the night burials should
0: stop. So I asked Doto about the president's reputation and how that would affect the election at hand. So briefly, let's talk about the incumbent, President Magufuli. His nickname is The Bulldozer. Why?
1: Yeah, he was called The Bulldozer because when he was the minister of construction, he kind of did not want to take no for an answer.
0: And Doto says he's still that way.
1: He doesn't take no for anything. So if he said to do something, he would do it.
0: That attitude has helped move a lot of Tanzanian transportation and development projects along. But some Tanzanians don't like the trade they're making. His party, the CCM, or Party of the Revolution in English, has ruled the country since 1964, when Tanzania was created. And even before Magufuli, it had plenty of support.
1: From radio, television, even social media. For example, my mother was always listening to Magufuli during the election campaign. And Magufuli had a lot of coverage, his poster was everywhere. And she was always asking me, why I don't hear Don on radio? And the opposition parties did not have that kind of privilege, to be honest.
0: Tandu Lizu, the presidential candidate from the opposition, is a lawyer and recently returned to Tanzania after a 2017 assassination attempt.
2: Lisu left Tanzania three years ago after being shot 16 times by unknown assailants outside his home in the city of Dodoma.
0: After 20 surgeries and years of medical treatment abroad, his one goal was to defeat Magufuli. But as journalist Doto says, the playing field wasn't fair from the start.
2: Being a journalist in Tanzania is becoming increasingly difficult. We are now getting to a situation where it seems almost illegal to say anything, to do journalism um, in a critical and independent way.
0: Many of the country's bloggers quit, but other journalists stayed on. And Dato has been frustrated with what he's seen.
1: I think there is a self-censorship among journalists, you know. They feel that if we do this, the president will be unhappy.
0: Before the election, Magufuli also restricted foreign media including Al Jazeera, from reporting in the country. There also weren't many international observers, and this year, European observers were not invited. So the opposition was watching out for election problems.
2: Tundu Lisu says he's worried about his safety. He's also concerned about the independence of the Electoral Commission that barred him from campaigning.
1: We are not going to accept stolen elections. We are not going to accept rigged elections.
0: And when Doto went to vote, he had his eye out, but he says where he voted, it went just fine.
1: When I went there everything was very calm. You find your name in the in the name lists, they give you the voting papers. You go privately and vote and then put it in there in the cast voting board. So I for myself I didn't see any any problem with that.
0: But that doesn't mean there were no problems overall.
2: Some analysts are saying that this poll it is not transparent or credible.
0: Local observers from each party were supposed to help with the vote count. That didn't happen. Not everywhere.
1: We have witnessed that the number of opposition polling agents were not given access to polling stations. So they could not go inside and verify those who are voting. They had no representative in those rooms. So they could just do anything they want.
0: What do observers say in Tanzania right now?
1: We heard from the observer that they have already given some statement that there were some some challenges with the elections, the report of fake, fake votes. So, so far, that has been the main claim from the observer, that this election may not be credible.
0: The election results did come out pretty soon after our chat, and John Magufuli won 80% of the vote. Basically, a landslide. The United States has urged authorities to address irregularities. The opposition candidate, Lizu, said the results were like spitting in the face of democracy and encouraged protesters to make themselves heard. Doto says there's reason to be concerned.
1: They will not accept the results because of this irregularity. So we are not sure how this will work out.
0: And there is no court or system that can challenge the final tally.
1: In Tanzania, if the presidential candidate is being declared winner, they cannot contest anywhere. So that's it.
0: Does this say anything about the state of democracy or the future of democracy in East Africa?
1: Well, it is a little bit earlier to talk about the state of democracy. We don't know. We are expecting maybe some... Kind of violence, people are getting arrested, and all that kind of stuff.
0: And this, of course, is an evolving story. On Monday, Tandu Lizu was arrested for several hours before he was released. And Tanzania isn't the only country that's faced election related unrest in the past month. In West Africa, nearly a week ago, Guinea State TV announced two dozen civilians were killed after a presidential election that the incumbent claims won him a third term.
2: These young victims were shot by security forces.
3: Mamadou Saidu Jalo, 14 years old. Cherno Sila, 13
2: years old. And 10-year-old Umar Jallo.
0: And in nearby Ivory Coast, there were reports that up to 30 people were killed ahead of their presidential election this past weekend.
3: In the run-up to the vote, dozens of people have been killed.
0: The incumbent there will also stay in power for a third term. In North Africa... Algeria held a constitutional referendum on November 1st that went peacefully, but the low turnout showed there wasn't much enthusiasm. The referendum was the new president's answer to a year of mass protests. But opponents say it gives him more power, not less. That also seems to be a trend. On that note, let's take a turn from Africa to Central Asia, Kyrgyzstan, where last month vote rigging was also a problem, with big consequences.
3: October 4th, there were parliamentary elections.
0: That's Azat Azambayev. He's 30 years old and a freelance journalist in Kyrgyzstan.
3: And I'm living in Bishkek. The country's capital. Our neighbors is uh, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, other post-Soviet uh, states, and uh, China in the east. We are like Chinese-looking, Russian-speaking, with the Muslim beliefs.
0: And all of that is important, especially the part about Russia. Kyrgyzstan used to be part of the Soviet Union.
3: It's always like when a new president or a new prime minister is appointed, their first official visit is Russia. We have very strong ties with Russia.
0: Though China has an increasing amount of influence too. And one more thing about Kyrgyzstan. There are lots of mountains, big ones, small ones. And from what Azad's heard from journalists covering this last election, his country's pretty beautiful.
3: All journalists we were working with, they were admiring our nature, saying that's really good.
0: What wasn't so good was what happened during that election.
3: It was like massive, massive win for pro-government parties. One party was ruled by the president's brother. The other party was ruled by the brother of one of the richest and most powerful men in this country. People were very unhappy with the results.
4: Demonstrators are demanding a rerun of the poll, which one opposition leader described as the dirtiest in Kyrgyzstan's history.
0: It was pretty clear to a lot of people, including Azat, that there was a fair amount of election fraud.
3: Most vote buying are happening in a condominium or something like this when the head of condominium comes to you and is saying, well, do you want to make some money? Well, on Sunday you should go to your poll station and vote for this party and I'll give you 2000 sums, like 25 bucks before voting and 25 bucks after voting if you show me the photo of your ballot with a party.
0: And Azad knows this happens because he's seen it firsthand. Even
3: I was offered money by some of my, let's say, friends. They offered like 50 bucks for vote, but I, I, I said like, no way, <laughs> I'm not playing this game.
0: Unhappy with what they saw as a rigged election, opposition parties had their supporters demand a new one.
3: It started, like, simultaneously, you know, several small parties at Central Square. Then it grew. Old parties, big parties were seeing that people are really unhappy, so they quickly mobilized their supporters. So approximately 10,000 people were on Central Square by evening, October 5th. And grew...  — — It was the largest protest since 2010.
0: — And, Azed says, protesters were handing out food and picking up trash. — People were standing, singing anthem,
3: almost uh, four or five hours. Let's say a kind protest, a very um, a peaceful protest. —
0: After this, things took a turn.
4: Security forces have now come into the square. They're firing tear gas and what sound like sound bombs. The thousands of people that have gathered here have now been pushed back. —
3: Some provocators came and started to attack the White House. — Where president sits and the parliament also. —
0: And that brought out the riot police. The next night, protesters attacked the White House again.
3: And around four or five in the morning, they took the White House.
0: It's worth mentioning that Bishkek
3: isn't huge. In Bishkek lives one, one million people, so we're joking like everyone knows, hear each other.
0: And as a result, Azat told us, riot police found themselves confronting friends, or at least friends of friends, or friends of relatives, which effectively dampened their motivation. And in a number of cases, the police were seriously outnumbered. — Let's say 10
3: to 15 riot police officers and, like, 50 to 100 protesters.
0: — And there was some violence.
3: — One young man died. He was 19 years old. He was injured by grenades, grenade, and he died the next day. His name was Umut. Uh, which translates as a hope. So some Twitter users wrote, the hope is died. the hope is that.
0: It was a sad moment. But it was also a turning point, and changes started happening. The vote was annulled, and officials started resigning from their posts.
3: First of all, a prime minister resigned, then the cabinet resigned.
0: Governors, even mayors around the country started resigning. It was just the president, Sorenbhai jembekov who hadn't resigned yet. And that's when Russia got involved. Experts say that
3: Russia's demand was to leave Sorumbai jembekov as a president. Deputy head of Putin's administration flew to Bishkek.
0: Then things got really surprising. This is supposed to be the part where Russia steps in and props up the party in power. But that's not what happened. The president followed the demands of his people, not Russia, and resigned as well. The
3: president was very emotional in his uh, speech. As he said, he doesn't want to shoot his uh, compatriots. He doesn't want blood.
0: And now there's a new acting president— who's also the prime minister.
3: Sadr Japarov is uh, taking control all over the country.
0: And that's getting some people worried. A new presidential election is expected to be held on January 10th of next year. But just days before his recent promotion, Japarov was in prison, behind bars serving 11 years for kidnapping. And now he has plans to change the constitution.
3: It might be so that they want to increase the presidential power and to decrease parliament's power.
0: Speaking to Al Jazeera, acting president Sadr Japarov explained that increasing the president's power and decreasing the power of parliament is exactly what he wants to do.
3: Maybe
0: in 25
3: or 30 years, we'll be ready for a parliamentary system. My suggestion is a new approach where people can hear directly from the top person in the country. Doesn't sound very democratic. It's the first time in independent history of Kyrgyzstan when one person has so much power in his hands as a prime minister and acting president.
0: But if this new government does anything to improve life in Kyrgyzstan, Azat says that could be enough to keep Japarov in power.
3: The situation is really bad.
0: Right now, things aren't great. The country depends on income from its citizens working abroad. That's decreased dramatically. Small businesses are suffering, and the country owes billions of dollars in foreign debt.
3: we had a disaster with pandemic this summer our economy is doing really bad and we also have to pay china the first tranche of our loan if he somehow succeed in solving one of 10 problems that we have he will deserve the respect from people here
0: a democratic system is not necessarily the first priority. But there have been new political parties springing up. And young people, like Ade Elmazbakova, now know what it's like to try and make a change. I think it's the duty of every young person to participate in political movements and express their civil rights. It's very important for this post-Soviet generation to realize that politics defines our quality of life. (laughs) The uprising has also drawn attention from neighboring countries. Tajikistan just elected their president to his fifth term. And Vladimir Putin has ruled Russia now for over two decades.
3: That's, we are making revolutions uh, really annoying and uh, worrying for our neighbors uh, in, in Tajikistan.
0: And in Russia is worrying too. But in America, the story has been more hopeful. South America, that is. Chile just had a major referendum that's been a long time coming.
4: You could almost say 40 years coming. That's Lucia
0: Newman in Santiago.
4: I'm Al Jazeera, English-Latin American editor and senior correspondent.
0: And this big vote was to decide if Chile would throw out their constitution.
4: Scrap the dictatorship-era constitution and rewrite it. This is a constitution that was born and written under a dictatorship. And it was imposed under that dictatorship by former Chilean dictator General Augusto Pinochet.
0: You may have heard of Pinochet. Chile has identified more than 40,000 imprisoned and tortured by him. This was 1973, and Pinochet had taken power from the socialist government of Salvador Allende in a coup. The country took a dramatic swing toward hyper-capitalism.
4: A very, very controlled system that would guarantee the interests of free market. And in fact, Chile became in some ways the birthplace of the ultra-liberal free market model of capitalism. Very, very extreme version of free market capitalism that I think Pope John Paul, the second once called it savage capitalism.
0: All that was built into the Constitution. So even after the dictatorship died, this savage capitalism didn't. In 2019, after almost 30 years of democracy, Chile was still the most unequal country among the world's developed nations. The income of the rich can be 25 times the income of the poor.
4: It's far more extreme than any other country in the world. The Constitution recognizes people's rights to education, to health, to a number of social needs, but it doesn't guarantee them. It basically leaves it up to the private sector to figure it out. The very rich can water their avocados or their fruit groves or whatever for export. But poor people don't have water in even areas where there are droughts. And then
0: there's the more recent history.
3: The unrest began last October after the government increased ticket prices on the
1: metro.
0: Last October, protests started over another government service — transportation.
4: The government raised the metro fare by 30 pesos. That was just the proverbial last straw. Chileans took to the streets, some of them rather violently, others less so, to demand a new social contract, saying they were fed up with the standard of living, with education, health care, pensions. All the things that were
0: not guaranteed in the Constitution.
4: a million and a half people in Santiago alone saying enough is enough. We can't take it anymore. We are not going to wait any longer for the happiness that we were told was going to come with the return of democracy. And they had been promised this 30 years ago. So it all kind of came to a head.
0: And last month, when they had this vote to get rid of it, the
4: Constitution... The yes vote won by a landslide... Chileans said, yes, we want that. They want a constitution born in democracy and help that democracy thrive. But this is just the beginning. Nobody has any illusions that it's going to change the country from one day to the next. Delegates have to be chosen, half women,
0: half men. They have to write the constitution, taking in new demands like acknowledging indigenous people for the first time. Then Chileans vote again.
4: In all, we're talking about two years. But that's how things are done, if they're done properly. I don't think you can rush into a new constitution.
0: And they're hoping, slowly, very slowly, this may help them find the happiness they were promised. And as for the rest of us, we'll have to see. That's The Take. And for one more reminder before we go... For the latest on the U.S. election results, today at 5 p.m. Eastern, we'll be airing an update from veteran reporter Ray Suarez. That'll be on our feed, The Take. So listen to it wherever you listen to us. Then come back to us on Friday to hear some reflections from American voters on the state of democracy in the country. This episode was produced by Amy Walters with Alexandra Locke, Nigeen Oliai, Oniwohacha, Dina Kispe, Priyanka Telbe, Nei Alvarez, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Natalia Aldana is the engagement producer. Stacey Samuel is the Take's executive producer. And Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.